I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you. Hi everyone, I'm Jason Ballara and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Today I'm here with Bessie Kapulian. Bessie has 18 years of business experience that includes 14 years of commercial lending and four years of business management. Um, Bessie, as I said, I'm going to let you tell your story, but first let me just say thank you. Uh, thank you for, for coming on the show today and, and taking the time out. Thank you so much, Jason. I've been a listener of the podcast and definitely honored to be a guest on the show now. So really appreciate the opportunity. Awesome. Awesome. I'm really looking forward to this. And and for people listening, uh, Vessi's also incredibly patient because I was, the first time we were supposed to record, I was sick, uh, had to reschedule. And then today I got stuck in a traffic accident and was late for this recording. So thank you for that. Thank you for uh, for hanging in there because um, I am, I am, very excited to to have you share your story with our listeners. So um, let's start there. Let's just have you go ahead and kind of give us your background. Absolutely happy to share that. My uh, real estate journey actually started a while back, or or rather, I should say the the real estate seed was planted in me a while back um, in Bulgaria. So I, I grew up in Eastern Europe behind the Iron Curtain uh, during very different times. And at the time when people talked about investments, uh, for the most part, they referenced hard assets like real estate and um, gold, silver. Um, so you could say the the thought of investing in real estate was really planted in me at that time. However, the seed didn't quite germinate uh, years later. Um, so I, I came to the U.S. for school. One opportunity led to another and just kind of followed the traditional path of um, completing your degree, um, joining a firm and, and starting to climb the corporate ladder. Um, so that seed didn't quite germinate until 2017 when I decided to buy my first investment property. And what triggered that decision really was a desire to diversify away from the stock market, which I discovered after I came to the U.S., but never really quite warmed up to. It uh, felt very much, I don't want to use the word casino, but very, very volatile, not always predictable. So um, diversification was one of my goals and really a desire to create a retirement nest egg. And um, that project, turned out very well. So it prompted me to look to buy another home and then another and another. And then the light bulb went on and I asked myself, well, this is working well. How could I scale this further? Not, not only as a retirement nest egg, but really creating another income flow, in, income stream. And that's what prompted me to look into multifamily. For me, that was a logical next step, given my experience in investing in residential properties, given my um, professional background. So my daytime job is a commercial lender. So a lot of skills that I could transfer and apply into scaling up into multifamily. 
Um, so invested a lot of time and effort into education, um, networking, and really taking action and ultimately completed that transition. Um, and now looking to grow and, and scale further in the multifamily space. Fantastic. So, so the first sort of real estate uh, deals were, were residential. Mm -hmm. Correct. And, and t tell us a little bit about that kind of where, what market were you in? What, um, how, how did you approach that? I think it, I think it's nice for people to kind of know, uh, obviously, you, you know, the lending side of things. So, um, but, but what kind of, how did you approach those first deals? Yes, yeah, so um, I initially stumbled across a real estate meetup, and there was one here in Los Angeles, and at the time it was all virtual. There was one particular speaker that um, would often talk about investing, and he had his contact information there. So one day I reached out and, and asked him, hey, do you know of someone who may have single-family homes out of state? And sure enough, he did. Um, so that was really my my very first purchase. Why did I look out of state or outside of California? Because I really uh, wanted to create that additional cash flow or additional income stream. So a little bit more challenging to do that here in California. And you can buy great, more affordable properties. Um, so it was really the the curiosity and and picking up the phone and, and taking action. Now I did go and visit that market, uh, met with the property management firm, looked at the property. I had done, um, my very first property was in Memphis, Tennessee. And I know a lot of people shy away from that market, understandably so because it's very street by street specific. So I had done a lot of research around the area, the location, of course, I like I mentioned, flew there. Um, to check it out and meet with the team. And, and I think a lot of that upfront due diligence uh, made this a successful um, investment. Excellent. And those were single family? But that was a single family home, yes. <clears throat> okay. And then, um, so how many single families did you do before moving to multifamily? Um, I did four, so uh, three single family homes and one duplex, so four residential properties. Gotcha. Okay. And so then talk about, you know, kind of that transition into multifamily, you know, kind of, I think we have a lot of people, myself included, like you, you kind of start maybe with that residential single family duplex mindset. And then uh, you read enough, you listen to enough podcasts, you go to the meetings and you're like, oh, scale, scale, scale. I want to, you know, I want to do bigger. Um, so how did that, how did that look for you? Yeah. So again, it started really with a, through a conversation and in, in networking, I was talking to an investor and we're just sharing um, what we want to do long-term. And I had mentioned, yeah, I want to buy my my 10 residential homes or duplexes and whatnot and from that point maybe i'll consider multi-family and he said well you know you don't have to wait until you get to 10 yeah. you yep. can start sooner and and frankly um from a lending perspective right you're even though there are a lot of transferable skills, a lot of good experience that you can leverage from the residential into multifamily space. Lenders really want to see that multifamily specific experience. So mm -hmm. um, accumulating 10 properties over a period of time wasn't really going to add a lot of value in terms of from a lending perspective and making that transition. So I, I decided to start looking into it at that moment and dove into a ton of content 
um, networking calls, forums, boot camps, and whatnot. And almost every person I uh, connect with, connected with, or, or at least the majority of the people, a recommended uh, mentorship program or a, a mastermind. And so I started looking into that, ultimately decided to join one uh, last year, and it really helped accelerate my journey uh, for a couple of reasons. One, it provided a very structured, more structured approach to the education component, which is is very, very important. And I would encourage everyone to, to start there. Um, but secondly, it provided a network of like-minded individuals who are motivated to do deals, have similar goals and values. And, um, and that's extremely important because multifamily is a team sport. Um, there are a lot of aspects to the deal of acquiring the property, attracting capital, asset managing the property later on. And, and uh, maybe you can do it with one or two smaller properties, but at some point you, you would hit that capacity. So it's always best to team up with others. Um, so having that community of like-minded individuals is important in terms of finding your future teammates and, and partners. And that's kind of what happened in my case. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the mentorship, I mean, it, you, you probably could figure it out over mm -hmm. time without a mentorship, but it would take you quite a while. I mean, there's, there's plenty of people that have done it. And I think those, those mentorship programs, um, they, as you said, they accelerate that learning curve. They accelerate your growth and your progress, and they and they do. They provide the, the education, but but probably more importantly, they provide you with a with a pretty big, like built-in network of other investors. But also, a lot of the the programs have you know these these are our preferred vendors. These are you know they they have they already have relationships with brokers, things like that 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 you can you know leverage to help with your with your own growth. Um, so tell us about your first deal uh, on, on the multifamily side. Yes. Yeah, so um, I my, my goal was to close on the first one within 12 to 18 months of joining the program. And, and what really predicated that timeline was the environment at the time, which was extremely, extremely competitive. Now there are different challenges and we can definitely talk about yeah. the current market. Um, but um so I, I I set that goal and really focused on taking action. And in my case, I decided to focus on two things in terms of market. I focused on Florida, specifically Jacksonville, Tampa, and Orlando. Um, why Florida? Because I already had some presence there via my residential portfolio. Um, so it was familiar. I had um, people, contacts, and whatnot. And then from... Um, skill set perspective i decided to focus on acquisitions so finding a property and underwriting the property that was more closely related with my superpower and, and passion as far as numbers and, and underwriting and so once i um, set that goal and once i figured out what i will focus on i started taking action um, initially going to the sites like loopnet Craxi from there getting contacts of the brokers, then reaching out, eventually getting on their lists. Then I started to get the, the listings and um, I would review each one that they send, especially in the beginning. Um, why? For a number of reasons. One, it helps you develop um, your skill set further. And for me, that was underwriting. 
um, but also it helps you get to know the market better. So over time, you could look at a deal and very quickly determine, um, will that work? Will that not work? It helps you be very familiar with certain components and we can dive into that in a little bit. And I would always take the time to respond with feedback. Now, unfortunately, the, the answer wasn't always yes. Um, so by the time I found my first deal, I had underwritten nearly 200 properties. So about a, a deal a day, it took me about six months to, to get to that one. And of those roughly 200, um, about we submitted about five letters of intent, LOIs, and of those five, only one panned out. So uh, it was quite a bit of journey of persistence, but um, knowing your why is very important. And I, I very much relate to the um, subject of your podcast because that's what's going to drive you and propel you further during uh, great times. And that's what's going to pull you up um, during tough times. And and so that's how the first property came along. Um, it was, uh, I had always responded to that particular broker on time, very reliable. And when we presented the LOI by virtue of networking within the community, I'm doing my research on the market. I already had, for the most part, I already had the team to take that deal down. I wasn't waiting to find the deal in order to um, figure out the rest. So we had the team, we had the lender, the insurance provider, um, the property manager, and, and effectively gave them the confidence that we can close on that deal. So I don't know if we were necessarily the highest bidder because we actually offered under asking, um, but we ultimately won that particular deal. I, I think it was because of the certainty of close, um, as well as local presence. I'm not based in florida i don't live in florida but one of my partners actually two of my partners are there so they're boots on the ground so they were able to go the very next day tour the property with our property manager check it out um, and i think that really presented well with the broker and ultimately helped us win the the loi yeah and i mean so many important things right there that you we can unpack because you you mentioned it before and, and you know that that multifamily is a team sport and and for sure it is and you know your superpower uh if that's acquisitions and, and underwriting now your your background as a commercial lender certainly lends itself to that and so i find like a lot of people whether their background is you know real estate specific or what there, there's always some connection there's always something there that kind of helps you, at least in the beginning, you may be shifting careers, but you still have skill sets that are relevant from those previous careers. Um, so you did some some really smart things in that you built the team ahead of time, right? You did, while you were doing your underwriting, while you were you know keeping up on these broker relations, you were building your team. And you mentioned something that I think is is really important. You always followed up with those brokers. You always um, you know gave them feedback on the deals. These are the things that you know a lot, a lot of the mentorships they tell you that do to do these specific things because it works. And you're you know sort of a perfect example of that. You you did it. You did you did the work. You did what you were supposed to, and then um, you know sort of were recorded uh, rewarded accordingly. Um, I, I think it's just, it's it's 
simple, right? It's simple, but it's repetitive. Like the, it's not, you, you just got to do it. You just have to go through and do that, that stuff. And, and you did it at a time when the market was very competitive and it was, it was kind of hard to get in front of brokers right now. I tell people right now, people starting, mm -hmm. this is you, the brokers will talk to you. Right. Like they're they're <laughs> dying for someone who wants to do deals because everything has slowed down so much. And, and you know, their their uh, position is more transactional. So they, they really want. So so if people are getting started, you're listening to this, you're getting started. First of all, do what Vessi did. Do all do all those things, um, whether you join a mentorship or not. But do what she did in terms of if you're going to focus on acquisitions. But secondly, like realize that it's actually maybe better timing right now in terms of creating those relationships with brokers with property managers people are are you know start in a in a position where they're they're not inundated with work now they're actually you know starting to look for it so um that's that's sort of part of what you said that I want to sort of focus on but also just that that team building aspect that you put the team together ahead of time how did you how did you do that i mean what are some of the steps you took there that i think i i think that's another thing that people say you should you should put the team in place before but but what did you do specifically to kind of develop that mm -hmm. and um I'm, I'm the type of person who takes takes their time i know a lot of people go to conferences they meet up with someone and all of a sudden they start partnerships together but uh, for me, I took a more slow and gradual approach of, of getting to know my partners. Um, they all are from the community that I'm part of or the same mastermind. Uh, and there are various networking opportunities or events that are organized within that community. So I definitely um, took advantage and made an effort to, to attend those or at least most of those. And once you start having those brief conversations, um, very quickly, over time, you figure out, oh, that I, I like that person. I want to keep talking to them, um, and and also figuring out how you can help each other. So the light part is making sure you have similar values, similar business goals, uh, more personal background, because these are people you'll be married to, right? Either forever if you buy a forever buy and hold, or at least for the next three to seven years if you do a syndication. So you wanna make sure your values are aligned. So that's what it starts with, at least for me, then business goals, and then last but not least, making sure you have complementary skill set. Um, so in my case, yes, I, I have the underwriting and, and, and lender background, but it was important to have someone who is boots on the ground, who has the contractor experience, um and, and so forth so all of these things came into consideration as i was uh, trying to figure out who, who do i want to work with who do i want to be married with right yeah. for the next several years and it's uh, i'm outlining it in a more technical manner but it's really it, all of that happens very organically it happens over time it, it happens naturally um, so I would advise people don't don't rush it and and take your time to get to know your your partners and and the people you'll be um, you will be with. Yeah, I mean it's it's really great advice. P people get um, we all want to do deals, right? And you're mm -hmm. like, how how can I get this deal done? I need I need people to you know because it, it you really can't do it on your own. It, it's it, if you're going to do anything that's you know sort of of any substantial size, but it's uh, yeah 
that slow approach to it is is better and again sort of not to harp on it but going back to where we are at right now in the market cycle like this is a good time this is a good time to go and figure out where where are those partners that you want to work with on deals if you don't already have them in place like who are the people you want to work with so doing the networking getting to know them establish those relationships and their you know sort of complementary skill sets as you mentioned mm -hmm. um you, you said you know your your role on the team is is uh with underwriting what are you doing now you know kind of that might be different than it was a year ago when we were in a different place in the market cycle what are you doing now with your underwriting to kind of account for uh well i guess first maybe some of the factors that you are having to account for differently and, and, and what are you doing uh, with your underwriting in that regard? It's a great question. And one I get asked very often, especially now in the current environment, um, I would first highlight a few factors. One is the uh, rent growth or rent assumptions projections, which also include vacancies. Um, then looking at the expense level, and I'll dive into each one in a moment in terms of how I'm changing those. So rent um, assumptions and rent growth, um, including vacancy, the expense factor, um, the cap rate, both the entry cap rate and exit cap rate, the debt terms and the reserves. Um, so these are um, the factors to focus on when analyzing a deal. So in terms of rent growth, uh, we were very fortunate to enjoy uh, high rent growth rates, but I, I think everyone who uh, has been in the industry knows that those are not necessarily sustainable. And in fact, we are uh, seeing rent growth moderate in some markets and a lot of the 2023 forecasts are now coming out. So the Cold Star, the big brokerage firms are all projecting more um, flat rent, at least for my markets and in some markets, even declining rents, basically returning to a more normalized level. So as I review deals now, I, I take um, that into consideration and looking at uh, rent growth that's more closer aligned to maybe historical rates and, and maybe even lower, uh, particularly for 2023. Um, vacancy assumptions as well, um, again, due to um, shortage and, and unprecedented demand for apartments, vacancies were uh, very low. However, in parallel, a lot of operators were also pushing up uh, rents quite a bit. And now we're hitting that affordability um, cap that exists because wages didn't increase 20, 30% over the last uh, couple of years. So a lot of people are, are having to relocate to different areas, maybe different states, um, simply because they cannot meet even the rent requirements. Um, it, we saw the unemployment numbers today, they were, those are highly more encouraging than anyone, anyone expected, but I think the cons general consensus is that next year, or 2023 rather, this year will be um, softer, will likely experience a recession, and depending on who you talk to, maybe depression, but all that it means is that in, with rising unemployment, people are more likely to also have difficulty meeting rent obligations, so that may lead to some economic vacancy as well. Um, so I, I look at the longer term historical trends and 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 get closer to that versus the 5% or lower vacancy from the past couple of years. Um, on the expense side, 
there are two factors. Your, your largest expenses are your taxes, insurance, and, and labor, which includes property management. Um, so given the continued increase in valuation over the past couple of years, the assessed property values have increased. So that's certainly something to take into consideration. And that's very state-specific, even county-specific, but at least in Florida, the reassessment happens every year. In some states, it may be, or counties, it may be every five years or every three years. So if you just bought a property and it was reassessed and the next one is not due until five years, you have that arbitrage period. Um, so I encourage people to um, look into that and make sure they're familiar. Insurance is a very hot topic right now. And I first started underwriting deals. Uh, four to 500 was the norm. It's not uncommon to see $1,000 per door um, currently in my market. And, and, and that may go even higher um, this year, given the hurricane um, that we experienced last year. So I always encourage people to and check with your insurance broker and, and especially now check multiple times because it's not uncommon for the insurance rate you thought you would get uh, to change at the closing table. And you don't want to have those surprises. And of course, a labor and, and property management fees. So that's the expense side of the equation. The third item I mentioned was cap rates. Um, so your entry cap rate, which is not necessarily the cap rate you buy the property at, but rather the market cap rate. We've already started to seeing some reversion of the cap rates uh, who were declining over the past couple of years. And now, um, given the rise in interest rate and change in lending terms, um, those are starting to increase. And even in my market last year, deals were trading at uh, three to four caps. Now they're at five, five and a half, six caps. Again, that's very uh, market and sub-market specific. So taking that into consideration and in accounting the more rapid rise in interest rate, which inevitably impacts cap rates into your reversion assumptions. I know historically many operators would look at 10% base or 10, sorry, 10 basis points a year. Um, I'm looking at a, at a higher gap now um, because of what's happening in the market. Um, I mentioned reserves as number four. Um, so typically I'd like to look at at least six months of operating expenses and debt service. I know that's probably on the more conservative side, but from my experience, um, cash and cash flow is what helps carry you through downtimes. Um, in, in the past couple of years, yes, a lot of that was with the rising um, cost in materials and, and labor. So you certainly don't want to have surprises once you start a project, uh, but especially right now with um, higher rates and vacancies, you want to have that extra cushion or buffer. And last but not least, debt terms. Uh, your lender is your biggest partner and providing, well, up until last year, it was 70 to 80% of the equity. Now it's closer to 50, 60, but that's still a considerate amount of the capital stack um, so your debt terms, uh, your 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 rate, um, repayment, all that matters, and making sure that also aligns with your business plan, right? Um, right now, a lot of people are uh, getting into fixed rate debt, and that's what I that's what my personal preference would be. But if you get into a ten year deal and your business plan is really to exit into in in three to five years, then make sure you factor in those prepayment penalties in your analysis and and calculations because. Um, especially in an environment where in the long run rates are likely to fall. And, and we, we look at that when we look at the 
10-year treasury um, bill and whatnot, um, the prepayment penalties are likely going to be higher depending on what kind of prepayment penalty structure you have. So you want to factor that into um, the equation. If you have a shorter term project, maybe um, look for um, shorter term um, um, fixed rate to, to align that with your um, intended or projected clo uh, close date. So, um, so yeah, those are the five factors I typically would focus on as I dive into a deal. And, and I forgot to mention the very one that's really the most important, that's the market or sub-market, because you can do a lot of things to a property, but you cannot really move its location. So making sure the median household income, crime rates, poverty rates, all that meet your criteria, because if, if you... Um, let's just say you have median household income of um, uh, 30,000 and you think you or your broker is telling you oh, you can get 15 to $2,000 rents, that's probably not going to happen if people can't afford to pay that rent. Um, so um, it definitely impacts your business plan or how the market impacts your business plan, how you execute on the business plan. And it could be the, the tailwind that propels you further during good times or the or what um, gives you some cushion during stormy waters. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, that should, people should go back and listen to that two or three times. I mean, really like just a fantastic breakdown of, of underwriting, Vessi. The... The, you know the highlight pieces and of what's most important your biggest expenses and all of that but but really just kind of uh it's a great explanation and putting it all together i wanted to ask you obviously i think you know your your background as a commercial lender in, impacts your ability to be good at underwriting and sort of have that be your superpower but do, do you approach it any differently if you're if you're underwriting a deal for acquisition as the, as you know sort of the operator the investor versus mm -hmm. You're underwriting a deal from from the lender side of it, or is it kind of the same? How how does that tie together? No, that's an excellent question because my experience was really on only one side of the table or one side of the equation. That's namely the lender side. There's so much more that you take into consideration. I think as an operator, um, because you're the one right who's creating the business plan, and you're the one who will be ultimately executing on that business plan. Um, so being familiar with how to run how to run the property, what it takes from an asset management perspective, um, all that, there was some learning curve on, on my end, and that's where I think the educational component was uh, very helpful. Also, my particular lending background was with a more traditional lender, uh, recourse type 525 or 725 types of structures. Um, exploring the agency world, non-recourse world, all of that was new territory for me. So um, certainly took time to understand those options as well and the requirements associated with that when it comes to your experience, your background, the key principles and whatnot uh, required in order to take, especially for larger deals um, down. Uh, so there was definitely a learning curve for that. So Yes, there are a lot of transferable skills that you can leverage, um, but um, there's also a lot more to learn as an operator. Um, a lender would always look at your projections and, and, and dial them down. So that's also something to take into consideration yeah. um, when you present information with them. So it's helpful to have an understanding of the other side of the equation, but there are certainly 
um, nuances that I had to pick up as I was uh, learning the underwriting from an operator perspective. Yeah, yeah, it uh, it's kind of a funny point. You know, the the, the brokers we when we get the the pro forma from the brokers, we're gonna we're gonna dial it down everything from what they say, and then the lender is gonna take our pro forma and dial it down even further <laughs> from there. So it's yeah, it's a it's definitely. Um, it's it's risk mitigation, right? It's like right. like the 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 broker's job is to sell. Their their job is to sell, make it look as good as they possibly can. Our job is to uh, you know sort of protect the protect the um, money of our investors, right? We're protecting our you know during within a syndication, and then the lender, as you mentioned, is is our biggest partner, and so yeah, they're sort of trying to protect everybody. So it's, again, it's just like deepening levels of risk mitigation in terms of the underwriting and, and how you um perform the you know whether it be the rent growth or the the expenses all of it obviously factors in so yeah i i think really really excellent points um i feel like we talk about underwriting for hours but uh let, let me switch gears Vessi. i want to i want to get to ask you the questions that i ask every guest um first one uh you touched on it but the name of the show is is know your why and so what is your why what what drives you you know as you said is, there are going to be ups and downs and so it's easy to keep going when everything's good but but what gets you going uh keeps you going when when things are are tough Ultimately, what drives me is I want to be able to live a life of significance and purpose. And I see financial freedom as a vehicle to achieving that. Um, and that freedom means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Uh, but to me, that translates into being able to spend time with my family, being present for them, being able to take care of them. Uh, for now, that's my my parents, but eventually, uh, hopefully when I have a family one day, being able to spend more time with my kids and then uh, finding other ways to give back to the community and having more time freedom to do that as well. Um, not that you cannot accomplish that while having a, a regular W-2 job, but I, I think everyone's here for a reason where we all have a purpose and um, finding that purpose maybe takes some time, but it was very empowering and, and, and refreshing when I discovered that. So it's living that life of, of, of significance and, and purpose is what drives me. Yeah. And real estate is just a vehicle. There are many vehicles to accomplish that. You could start a company, invent a product, but uh, my natural passion, skill set, interests revolved around in this, uh, around real estate, and that's why I chose that particular vehicle. Yeah, yeah. I, I, one of my favorite things about you know, kind of this this podcast, and even even the um, uh, the conferences and stuff like that, is it, you know, you hear the speakers and and there's this point where it's like you you become successful whether it's real estate business as you mentioned it doesn't really matter it's it's all a vehicle but you reach this point where you've become successful you're financially free and then it's almost like you get this like switch that flips and it's like wait a minute now what can i do like what what impact can i really have and I, listening to you know some of the some of the people that have just been incredibly successful in the space at the conferences and now it's like literally everything they do is is to have an impact in the in the the real estate business is just kind of funding that that um impact it, it's just it's so cool to see that stuff so yeah uh I, I love that um tell us something about yourself that maybe isn't common knowledge a special skill a hobby i mean anything that you're you're comfortable sharing uh so the audience gets to know you a little better 
hobby in terms of hobbies running is one of my hobbies i i really enjoy it and most people start with uh, 5ks 10ks uh, i always enjoyed running and one day a friend of mine were chatting and decided to run a marathon so i went from zero to a marathon and eventually <laughs> dialed down to half marathon and now i just do 10ks but uh, uh that's <laughs> that's how it got started you did, yeah you did go the opposite and it, I mean, uh, you know, for, for people that run, they they know the dip, but like the difference between a marathon and a half marathon is like, any. I, right. I, I honestly feel like anybody who's in decent shape could go do a half marathon right. with, with very little. It, it, I do not think that is the case for, for a marathon. It, it's a totally different, totally different world. Uh, so I, good for you for, for starting big on that. That's, that's impressive. Um, when people hear this and they want to reach out to you, what's, what's the best way? The easiest way to connect with me is through my site, uh, www.dbacapitalgroup.com. D is in dream, B is in believe, A is in achieve. And um, my contact information is there, phone, email, as well as a calendar link in case people would like to um, set up a time and, and schedule a call. Um, also, as a special gift to your listeners, I would like to offer a complimentary copy of my very first digital book. It's not published yet. It will be published later this year, but I'm happy to share a copy with them ahead of the launch uh, if they can uh, contact me through the website and, and I will um, share the links with them. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. We should all reach out to get a copy of that. That's uh, that's exciting. Um Final question for you. What is a piece of advice you would give to someone who is getting started? They, they want to be a real estate investor. They're kind of um, just getting ready to dive in. What would you tell them? I would say uh, first get educated. Uh, that's important, uh, not only uh, for your own edification, but also you have responsibility towards others, whether it's your partners or down eventually your investors. So get educated and then take action. Um, your first deal might not be your perfect deal, but you will learn a ton and that experience is invaluable. So don't wait to find that perfect deal. Don't overanalyze. Um, definitely take calculated risk, thoughtful credit, thoughtful action, but, but take action, even if it's a small step. Um, so that goal of buying your first apartment building may seem really far away and really intimidating, but think of what is that first step I need to do um, to take that property down or to get there and then just implement it and take a small step every day consistently and persistently. And uh, before you know it, you will be well on your way of making those dreams a reality. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. Um... Vessi, this was great. Uh, I really, I really appreciate your time. I'm, <laughs> I'm glad that you were patient enough to, to hang in there and, and uh, let me get to the computer. So um, thank you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for the, um, really all the value you provided. I think um, people can take a lot of very directly actionable um, information from this, especially towards their, um, their underwriting but but also just you know kind of the steps you took in getting started it's, it's all it's all it's all great so so thank you i really do appreciate it i really enjoyed our conversation jason and thank you for having me as a guest
Yeah, absolutely. Um, folks listening, uh, I know you're going to love this episode. Please uh, connect with Vessie. She's going to give you a copy of her digital book, which is uh, very, very generous. But um, if you like the podcast, please like, rate, and review so we can have more great guests like Vessie. All right, take care. I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you.